Hello and welcome to Women in Confidence with me, Vanessa Murphy, HR expert, confidence coach and now podcaster. This podcast discusses all things to do with confidence in life and in work. And this is a podcast for women who want to learn what confidence is, how to obtain it and how to maintain it and learn how confidence can help you grow and flourish. Every week, I introduce you to amazing women who have interesting stories to tell about confidence. Through their stories, insights, hints and tips, you realise that a lack of self-belief or low self-esteem is common and also very human. But by listening to them, you'll take away what they have done to show up confidently on the inside as well as on the outside. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Women in Confidence. I'm recording this intro during my COVID isolation. So, yep, I've been hit by this damn virus and I can tell you now it sucks. So I'm on day three of isolation and I took a shower earlier and even the drops of water hurt my skin. But I've been told that I'm over the worst of it and by day four I've been going to be skipping around. So if my voice sounds weird in this introduction, then now you know why. So on to the, this episode and I'm joined by Tamara Protasau. Tamara is a non-fiction writing coach who specialises in developing and editing non-fiction books with purpose-driven writers. She's also, as this episode reveals, a feminist and sees her work as a channel for the female voice to be heard. Tamara has developed and edited books with over 50 authors, including Denise Duffield-Thomas, Leonie Dawson and Lisa Lister, and has edited both freelance for self-published authors as well as for Hay House UK. Tamara, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you just tell everybody where you are in the world? I like to highlight this to my listeners that this is a global podcast. It isn't just in my back, sort of my backyard. So where are you coming from? Oh, of course. Um, so I'm in Melbourne. I'm in the hills outside of Melbourne. So it's quite a touristy area. It's near a place called Alinda. And it's very beautiful. It's got, you know, native Australian bush and um, a lot of sort of natural natural spots to wander about in. Um, and, yeah, I love living out here. Yeah, it's all beautiful, fresh air, mm. green, lovely. Yes. And, and hopefully that um, gets your sort of creative juices flowing and we'll come on to what you do shortly. But I'm going to start by asking this question. What does confidence mean to you? That's a very good question and uh, I think it does change over time but um, at this at this point in time for me it means being having a sense of solidity in yourself and actually being able to um, say oh well this is this is me knowing who you are knowing how that affects sort of what you do and how you do it and not actually sort of blowing with the kind of prevailing winds you know just just being able to go oh well, that appears to not be for me and knowing what you're choosing, you know, and then choosing what works for you over and over again. You said it changes with time. So mm. rewind 20 years. What would a confidence have meant to you then? Uh, so 20 years, well, that that for me is before children. <laughs> um, and confidence for me then it felt more like an external thing. It felt more like um, how I presented to the world and, you know, how that made me feel. Whereas now, 20 years on, uh, it's more of an inside job, I would say. And what's, what's changed in you then so that it has, has become more about an internal confidence rather than the external confidence? What's changed? 
<laughs> well, firstly, an awful lot of personal work. <laughs> I'm not I'm not certain that that internal confidence sort of develops by itself. I think it becomes more intentional over time. And it was just an understanding that if I didn't stay true to what was happening inside, if I if I ignored that and went with external pressures of what my life should look like or what it should, you know, present as and how I should present that, then on the inside, I wasn't going to be very happy and that would would erode confidence over time. So I guess, you know, I got into sort of, I didn't get into a sticky situations, but I got into situations where I thought, hang on a second, what what led me here? What series of decisions meant that I've suddenly woken up and I am here doing this, you know, um, and they're just unsuitable jobs that I wasn't particularly, you know, happy in and that kind of thing. But tracing back, I could see that that gut feel had been there from the start. I'd, I'd been ignoring the fact that it was not going to be a good fit. So I really wanted to become intentional. And it was, it was a, it wasn't something that I just grew into. It was actually an intention that I went, wow, I really ignored that this situation was not going to be ideal. Why did I ignore that? How did that work? You know, and like I put myself into some therapy. I wanted to know why I was making these choices that weren't right for me, even though from the outside they looked great. And that's how I guess over the 20 years, you know, I've got to the point where I'm like, well, if it doesn't, if it doesn't make me happy, if it doesn't actually help me in some way that I appreciate, if I don't feel my most full self, then it's not actually okay for me. <laughs> you know? And you talked about doing things intentionally and making decisions intentionally. Mm. So becoming a writing coach, was that something that you said? Was, an, was that an intention? Over the last, say, two or three years, yes. Um, but prior to that, I was editing nonfiction books and, you know, that was great. I, I love words. I'm a complete word nerd. Um, you know, I fly that flag high. But the writing coaching, I really eased into over time, I would say. People started coming to me with manuscripts that weren't finished and asking for them to be edited. And that is not possible. It's just not something that you can do. So I was helping people finish their manuscripts, helping them get over that final hump, helping them um, develop their books. You know, people started coming to me who hadn't actually written a book and said, oh, I heard that you're, that, that you help people write books. And so it evolved from helping people finish books through helping people develop their books and then um, write them and then finish them and then edit them. <laughs> so, you know, it, that developed over time. But the last two to three years, I really um, have realised that, that is actually the space that I thrive in. And so I have shifted what I do from nonfiction editing through to book development and um, writing coaching. Yeah, well, let's talk about writing coaching because I think on the surface I probably know what it does or what you do, but could you just explain a little bit further about the work that you do with your clients? Mm, sure. So um, I work with purpose-driven people. Um, they do end up being mostly uh, women and, um, you know, a smattering of men, um, but, you know, basically purpose-driven people, and they usually have a vision for what needs to happen out in the world. Um, so writing coaching at a bare sort of definition level is 
helping someone to bring the book idea that they have out of their head and onto the page and then into a published item that you can hold in your hands or download onto your e-reader or listen via whatever listening app that you have. So that's a bare definition. But within that, it involves a whole heap of both mindset and practical tools. You know, for me, it's a, the people who come to me need a pretty much a 50% mix of each um, in order to get out of their own way, understand how they work, and then get that book out. And what sort of books are your clients writing? Are they fiction? Yep. Uh, so I work mainly in the nonfiction space, and that includes memoir, you know, personal story. Um, there is a slight crossover now into creative nonfiction. Um, so that is people who are writing their story but who are fictionalising certain parts of it or in order to emphasise a theme or that kind of thing. So there's there's a little crossover there, but I'm terrible at fiction. I um, I get way too attached to the characters. I can't possibly <laughs> recommend that someone kill off a character. It's terrible. I can't do it. So, um, so yes, it's non-fiction that I work with, yeah. And you said it was a 50-50 split between the mindset and the practical nature of writing mm. a book. What shows up with the mindset bit? Because that's the bit I'm really interested in. Mm. What are your clients coming to you or what mindset are your clients coming to you? What state of mind are they in? Mm. So there's two main states of mind. The first one is I've known I have to write a book for years and years and years, sometimes decades, but I've ignored that nudge um, and I've realised that life is short. I don't have much time. Well, I don't know how much time I have. None of us do, but there's usually a sense of urgency, but they have absolutely no idea where to start. They're convinced that because they were bad at English at school, they can't actually write um, and that, you know, it's all been done anyway. So that's one one person. The other, the other person has normally um, done a fair bit of their writing, but they've ground to a halt. So you know, they might have tens of thousands of words in files on their hard drive, but they're not sure where to go from where they are or whether what they've got is any good. You know, it's it's very much, um, and both those things, what they have in common is just a general sense of overwhelm, um, an unsureness of where to go from here, and just this internal fear that they're generally not good enough. You know, it all boils down to I'm just not good enough. This isn't good enough. I'm never going to be good enough, you know. Um, and so we have to work a lot with that to start with. Mm. I find that really interesting because you're saying people are saying they're not good enough and yet they've come to you, perhaps they know they have to write a book, so they've set that, I suppose, the intention or they've come to you with words, you know, lots mm. of words, but yet they're still saying they're not good enough. How do you... Where do you start with a client who's saying, I'm not good enough, and yet they they know that's what they've got to do? Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I used to find it really, really difficult um, because, you know, I'd just be like, but you've written all this stuff. Of course you're good enough, you know, like what? Or, or you know you need to write a book. Let's just get some words down, like, a, you know. Um, but over time I realised that, you know, we actually have to work sort of underneath those beliefs and actually excavate them to to be able to actually get a book out. Um, otherwise, we'll just be stuck forever. Um, so 
I think uh, working with the concept of creativity um, is just a really important piece of the puzzle. So we talk a lot in the groups that I run about um, how creativity works because there are various there are various ways that we we conceive of this idea. So humans at their base level are creative animals. You know, we're storytelling animals. We always tell each other stories. When we meet up with someone for a for a cup of tea, it's, you know, how are you? Oh, well, my, you know, and then off we go. There's a story. And friendships are based on that. You know, we know each other's histories. We know each other's stories. And um, that's what connects us all. So talking about creativity as a general human condition, as something that we just do, um, helps to sort of make that impulse to write a book a little more, I hesitate to say ordinary because it takes an extraordinary effort to write a book, but it just makes it a little more normal, you know, Um, and feeling normal kind of relaxes that scared bit of us. So I really like, I talk a lot with my writers about um, Elizabeth Gilbert's book called Big Magic, which is a whole discussion on creativity. It's just all of Liz Gilbert's thoughts on creativity. And one thing I really agree with her on is that ideas are floating around and then they 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 come to you. So um, she describes it as as just, you know, being given this inspiration and you get to say yes or no. Um, we do get a choice in all of that. And if you say yes, then, and you go with it, then it's it's this, you know, creative sort of voyage and it's all very exciting. It's got its difficult bits, but, you know, it's, it's a ride and you're on it. And it's interesting because I'd been working with clients for a while and I work with a concept called the management. So, you know, some people call it the universe or God or spirit or, you know, whatever whatever concept you want. But I like the management because it's just fairly, fairly neutral. If you've had a bad experience in corporate, I apologise, but um, there's just this management and it's their job to give out the creative um, tasks to humans. So, you know, they, they, they've got all their staff up there in little cubicles going, have you given that job out yet? How are they going? What's happening? And that kind of makes takes the charge out of it takes that whole oh my gosh I need to be this creative person who writes and oh dear you know it's like oh I've been given a job um do I want it yes no you know we get a choice so we work slowly through that idea that they're choosing to do this you know you don't have to write a book no one has to write a book you know but choosing to do it means that you're you're actually putting yourself in that space where you go okay I'm going to be there's going to be words on a page at some point here. <laughs> and is some of the fear of of writing a book or the maybe procrastination, so they they know they have to but don't know how to mm. or don't have the confidence to do that, is some of that around rejection? So they may put something out there into the world and it gets, I mean, the, the word is I'm using is rejection, but that's just one word to describe many, I suppose, emotions. But is that something that shows up in your clients? Oh, 100%. Yes. Yes. And it shows up at various points. So sometimes it's the block right at the start. So someone will be uh, coming to you saying, I've got an idea and I want to write a book, but what happens if like my 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 mum reads it and disowns me or my you know clients 
sort of stop coming to me because, you know, I've said something silly or, you know, and I'm like, how many words have you written? And I'm like, none. So sometimes it's that borrowing trouble from the very start. And that's one of the spots it shows up in. The other spot is when you're almost finished. The book will be seven-eighths done and suddenly, you know, a, a few sort of client meetings get missed and a few stuff happens and usually I'll send a message saying, you know, how how far through your book are you? And they'll say, oh, I'm almost done. Oh, it's just life's very busy. And so eventually we get on a call <laughs> um, because this is the point at which I need to be persistent because everybody stalls at this point. You know, it's very rare for people to, to not stall at the seven-eighths done mark. Um, so in a previous career, I was a doula, so I helped um, women in labour or birthing people in labour, and I there's there's a spot called transition, and that's where um, the birthing person normally stands up and says, "Right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going home." And you go, "You are so not going home." <laughs> or they say, "No, I've I'm I'm not doing this today. I'm going shopping." You know, like that's it's it's this spot where you just are suddenly aware that life is going to change and that there's going to be this very this event is going to happen the book is going to be finished then it's then it's time to go through that um process of getting it published or self publishing and suddenly the enormity of life after hits and you know our our minds just freeze and and go on holiday and go nope not doing this not doing this someone will someone will read it one day and judge me we don't like being judged we we feel like we're going to get you know, kicked out of the kicked out of the cave and 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 left to wander by ourselves. It's not it's not a nice feeling, and usually we'll do a lot to not feel that way. So, it's really important to bring that up into consciousness to be able to actually work with it and go, okay, like I know I'm scared, but I'm going to do this anyway, um, and just lead gently through it and out the other side. And you talked about overwhelm because as you were talking, I was thinking. For me, writing a book, not only is the overwhelm of the mindset, but the practicalities of writing a book, I think I can totally understand why your clients sort of get to that seven eighth and think, actually, my life is about to change quite considerably. And that's the bit that I would probably fear the most about writing a book. With the practicalities of writing a book, how do you deal with the overwhelm there? Because I feel like there's a lot of steps in just the practical logistics of writing a book. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is a book is a massive project. They they they're huge. Like you're looking at something that's at least thirty thousand words, um, if not sixty to eighty thousand, or sometimes more. Um, you know, it's a very very long project. Unless you're doing a you know book in thirty days, business card on steroids, twenty five thousand word kind of whack out a thousand words a day and you're done type affair. Um, and that's very much not where I work. I, I used to edit those books and, um, you know, there were some great ones, but overall I feel like quality takes a bit more time <laughs> to develop. Um, so the overwhelming, the overwhelming feeling of that, we really work with this concept called short assignments. Um, and it's a concept by uh, that I first read about in a book called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. So she's an American writer and um, she writes on on writing as well as on other things, uh, and she's always quite funny. But she really advocates for if you're feeling that overwhelmed, 
all you need to do is write the very next short assignment. And that might be the next paragraph. Or when I work with clients, it could be like we break the book down into short assignments. So there's a lot of steps in writing a book that aren't necessarily putting words on a page. So there's deciding on a structure, there's making a plan, and they're two different things. Um, There's, you know, deciding sort of what order your information flows in. There's different, um, like some people are writing books where there are action steps at the end of every chapter. Perhaps writing a series of action steps for a chapter, that's a that's a short assignment. Um, deciding on the various little graphic elements that you might want in your book, short assignment, you know. So we really try to focus down um, on just the next small step. I think Anne Lamott says you only need to write as far as your headlights can see in the dark. You can't, you can't write the whole journey at once. <laughs> and what you're saying you can apply to almost anything in life. I mean, you know, there's overwhelm in, I don't know, taking a bigger job, for example, or starting a business. And those short assignments, what you're telling me, you could actually apply to a book, absolutely, but you can apply to almost anything in life where you feel overwhelmed. Is that your, is that your feeling as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. After I read that um, a year or two back in um, Bird by Bird, I sort of went, exactly what you said. I went, I could totally apply that in so many areas. I knit as well. And I sometimes I knit fairly large things and get overwhelmed and think, no, all I need to do is the next in, next row. Like I just need to do, it's like a short assignment, you know. <laughs> or um, for example, I have quite a large garden. And if I think about the whole thing at once and weeding the whole thing at once, it's it's vastly overwhelming. But part of a garden bed I can do maybe a whole garden bed I can do, you know, (laughs) it depends on the day how much of a garden bed I can do (laughs) and how much feels overwhelming. But, you know, breaking it down into small bits is, is such a great kind of just reminder to have in life, no matter what you're doing. I really like that idea of short assignments and applying it to anything, because I think certainly my clients and people who've, who've come on this previous guests who've come on the show have said, actually, some of the part of developing confidence is to take action. Well, rather than taking the action from A to Z immediately, let's just go to B to C to D. And those short assignments, um, I think it's a great idea. And actually having the success of a short assignment as well will, will encourage you to probably to then take the next step and also to give you some confidence. Yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, since we started working with that concept in the small groups that I that I do run, people are making much more progress because having right book on your to-do list, it's ages until you get to tick that off, you know, but having, you know, do paragraph two of chapter three, you know, you're like, oh, I've done it. I've done it. You might only have taken 20 minutes, but you've done it. And if you, if you don't feel like writing more that day, you've at least made a step further Mm -hmm. forward. And if you do have time and space and the inclination, you can keep going and knock over a few more short assignments, (laughs) you know? So yes, it's about being able to tick those items off and feeling like you're making progress. You mentioned you work in groups. Is that something that you found to be the perfect sort of setup to get the most out of your clients? Uh, I do. I do work one-on-one, but um, I do run a membership where um, it's like a monthly sort of subscription thing. And we do several calls 
um, a month. Some of those are writing calls and some of those are books discussion calls. And I've found that writing in community means that you get used to the feelings that actually happen while you're writing. And from what other people say, I, I think that people feel not quite as alone on that on that journey. Yeah, I hesitate to call it a journey. It feels very kind of stereotypical. But, you know, over that period of time where you're writing a book, people get to see that everyone gets stuck at vaguely the same spots or everyone gets, you know, tangled up in their own head sometimes and, you know, talking it out with other people who sort of go, oh, yeah, that happened to me a couple of weeks ago or I've been feeling that this week. You know, it's it's a commonality and I think that doing it with other people takes a little bit of that um, that stereotype of the, the suffering artist who's all alone and who has to do it by themselves and woe is me. I think having company on that on that experience of writing a book is a really important thing, or that's what people express to me anyway. And have you written a book? Not yet. However, I am writing one. So um, that's part of what I do in my group because I've I've sort of said, okay, well, you know, it's, um, if you don't mind me saying, it's called Book Right Now and With Me on the end. So what people get to see is me going through the same process as they are. And um, it takes a certain vulnerability. Um, I was in two minds as to whether to write a book alongside everyone or, you know, confess that I was going to write a book alongside everybody. But um, I decided to, I just had a gut feel it was a good idea to fess up because I'm not very good at keeping that kind of thing from my, um, my clients. And, you know, the fact that I am there as well, bringing my stuckness and my kind of oh, wow, I've taken so many people through exactly this spot, but here I am stuck in this spot that everyone gets stuck in, you know. Um, I think they've appreciated that too um, and have reflected that back as well and have also given me some great advice, some of which they first heard from me. <laughs> They're playing it back at you. They certainly are. I'll be t- they'll say, okay, well, it's your turn now. How's your book going? And I'll and I'll say, oh, well, you know, this and that, and I'm a little bit stuck here and blah, blah. And they'll get this look on their faces on our Zoom calls. And I'll say, okay, what have you got? And they go, well, have you thought of that possibly? And then they say exactly what I normally say back to me. But it's interesting having someone else say it to you. It It's still useful, even though I know it, it's useful having it reflected back by another person. And in the process of writing your book, what emotions have showed up for you? Uh, well, <laughs> not not ones that are particularly comfortable, really. You know, I've, I've been frustrated. I've been overwhelmed. I've been slightly bored. It's, it's really interesting, but you know, us writers can really bore ourselves sometimes, um, both with our own mind chatter and also with what we're putting on the page. <laughs> um, you know, I've struggled with feeling like an imposter, um, like who am I to be doing this? And also, I guess, you know, I'm writing, yes, I'm writing a book about how to write a book, but the first half is really about whose voices get get heard and how how we silence people and why it's really important to, if you have that nudge to write a book, to write it um, in specifically the manner and the voice in which you would write it. And those explorations have, 
brought up a whole heap of you know feminist rage <laughs> that that um that I've just had to write through I you know there's there's not much to do with that apart from get it down onto the page and you know try and make it coherent later really <laughs> well um let's talk about this feminist rage because I mean with this podcast it's about women and it's focused on women and so what a great opportunity to talk about the rage of a woman so what's come out there uh it's really you know I mean I guess some part of me wants to say my background in this I um 20 something years ago uh, did a degree in English and women's studies um, that would be gender studies now and for me writing about these things a couple of decades later and realizing how little has changed um, really in a in a material sense like yes we've had a woman prime minister in Australia I should say <laughs> um, but the the abuse that she copped when she was in that position and the fact that we haven't elected another woman prime minister or, you know, indeed had women in many positions of power um, is, is just abhorrent to me. It's, it's, so the feminist rage is, is a combination of, wow, I really thought we were changing things back then. I thought that things would be vastly different by now um, and that we would, for example, not have a gender pay gap anymore, that we would, uh, that, that has you know, continued to be to be something that we grapple with. Um, that that uh, the unpaid work that women do would possibly be a little more um, recognised, and that women's voices would actually be heard. So it's not, you know, without being tone policed. I guess we have a lot of um, movement in Australia. Uh, for women's voices to be heard, and yet it becomes more about you know, past behaviour or how we sound while we say things, or you know whether we've smiled at somebody. And yeah, I guess for me, it's just feeling that gosh, change is slow, and that is super frustrating. But do you feel because you're talking about women's voices to be heard, mm. and one of those ways is through a book. I mean, that is, to me, it doesn't have to be a podcast or a TV show or a prime minister. Mm. It can be a book. And in some way, do you feel you're contributing to that bigger change by supporting women through this writing of the book? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the women who come to me have um, powerful stories or they have um, powerful ideas, you know, scientific ideas ideas for structural change, ideas, and whether it's a personal story or whether it is one of those, you know, ideas books that have the capability of, you know, changing how we do things for the betterment of humanity and the planet and that kind of thing, it is super important for women's voices to be heard and for marginalised voices to be heard because the discourse currently doesn't um, allow those voices and also the ways in which those ideas are expressed, not, not mainstream sometimes, you know, and they're, so that it is a revolutionary act to speak and to publish in a book ideas and stories and have a diverse range of voices out there. So, yeah, I do feel like it's a political thing um, and a something that does move the discourse forward to mm bring these voices out into books. So I'm curious, Tamara, who is the most confident person that you can think of 
preferably female. Most confident person I can think of. Oh, that's a really great question. So I I have a very good friend who um, is an online um, entrepreneur. Um, her name is Leonie Dawson, and she has uh, her pronouns are she they. So I'm going to use they because it's the less common one, and you know that kind of helps make it normal for people who do identify as they them. So they have an unshakable confidence. Um, And I've spoken with them before about how they are so confident and they just went, well, I figure I was born the way I am and why would that be wrong? And sometimes when I'm having a moment of of lack of confidence or I'm working with someone and and they're they're just so, they're feeling small and um, lacking in that confidence, I always think, well, my friend Leonie says, you know, a zebra doesn't waste its time thinking that it should should have been a wildebeest or a giraffe. A zebra gets on with being the best zebra it can be. And if I was just born this way, then why should I try and change myself to, to fit in with and be some giraffe when I'm actually over here being a zebra? You know, I, I need to just be the best zebra I can be. So I try and work with that with people and I try and remember it for myself because, you know, here I am doing my thing. Why would I think, you know, for, like for me, <laughs> being a being a writer, why would I suddenly go? Yes, but I'm not a great engineer. You know, <laughs> I'm over here being being a word nerd, happy in my own little, you know, wordy haven. Why would I? Why would I suddenly go? But I'm terrible at calculus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. So yeah, it's I, I just find that a really powerful idea. And the 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 I mean, Leonie's words are very smart, and and brought to mind for me something I want to ask you about compa- comparisonitis, if I could say it, because again, writing a book must bring up all sorts of emotions about comparisons. So maybe not. I'm writing a book on management, and I'm looking over there, and somebody's writing a book on structural engineering, and I can never be as good as those. But there must be so much fear around comparisons and comparing themselves to somebody who has maybe got their book out there and has success, whatever that means to people. Mm, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of the things that does stop people writing, um, you know, feeling like someone has said it before, someone has said it before and been absolutely lauded and loved by everybody. And I'm kind of writing on the same idea, but, oh, it's been done or, who'd want to hear from me anyway, that kind of thing. And it really, um, you know, it is about having that solidity and understanding that your voice is actually important um, and that somebody, what, what I always, I feel that taking that focus off ourselves and actually putting the focus on the reader. So having this idea that there is a reader out there who needs to hear it exactly the way that you would say it. Um, that's something that we work with quite a bit because they might not resonate with that really super successful book that you're worried about. You know, they may actually need to hear it and they may have been wishing that someone somewhere would help them with something and they need to hear it exactly the way that you're going to put it. You know, it's it's you're essentially writing an answer to their dearest heart's wish, you know, and that that tends to get people out of their own heads and into that space of, um, being of service of writing because they've been given that job, they're they've said yes to that nudge, that initial inspiration to write the book, and 
knowing that that inspiration comes from just somewhere that knows someone needs to hear that. It's it's a really powerful shift to make. And how can people find you? You talked already about the courses, the book right now or the group. How can people find you? Yeah, so um, I am uh, on Instagram, which is book.write, as in W-R-I-T-E dot now. Um, and I'm I'm also on Facebook as my name, Tamara Protasso. And I have a website, again, tamaraprotasso.com. So, yes, I'm sure that that'll be in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm going to put this, mm. all these details and all your contact details absolutely in the show notes so people can click and find you and contact you yeah well tomorrow it's been amazing having you on and thank you and I know we we went in a number of ways around writing but also into the feminist sort of movement and perhaps a little bit further outside of just purely writing into actually applying what you said and you said so beautifully around um changing mindset into other areas of life and I mm. think you know, all I can say is thank you very much for coming on and sharing that with with me, but also with the people who are listening. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Vanessa. It's been a pleasure. And I could talk about this kind of thing all day. So well, I'll get you back you. and you can. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Women in Confidence and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please like it, share it, comment on it, and if you want to, sponsor it. If you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest, then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time.